All right. Without further ado, um, I've told you what he does. All right. I've told you what his family does. But just again, literally one of the most brilliant, humble, heart-filled, loving, kind men that I know, literally. So Adam, man, it is an honor to give you this stage and to be a part of Upper Room here. We love you. Let's welcome him. Stand to your feet. Yes. to you. Do I have my mic on? You guys hear me okay? You got it? It's a real privilege to be here. Blessings to you whether you're online or in-house. I just want to share two things before I get started. I always look forward to being at Upper Room. I really, really love being here. Always do. But this morning I've been overwhelmed with this, this like feeling, I can't even really describe it, of being at home. Which is like, I, I, I mean, I've always felt loved and welcome here, but it's Uncanny. I don't even know how to process it or communicate the degree of at-homeness I felt. It's kind of freaky, to be honest. It's so powerful that I'm, I'm not sure how to process it, but I'm very honored and grateful. Uh, Aaron's been one of my heroes for, for a while now, but thank you for the opportunity to be here. It's a privilege to be here. Blessings to you. But one more thing I just want to share before I get started. During the worship, the Lord just did something that he's done before, but it's been a long time. Worship and it's something that happened at my wedding day. I've been married about about 23 and a half years, and so we were at this big church. and I don't know why, but we invited everyone we knew. I don't know what we were thinking. This huge church, it's one of those things where there's the pipe organ that's as big as this back wall, you know, and there's the choir thing. And my friend, the pastor's right here, and he was actually wearing a robe, and I'm dressed up, and my wife's beside me. I was like so overwhelmed, I was, I, I was so filled with awe. And grandeur. I mean, like the beauty of my wife, the, like the whole majesty of this moment of getting to get to marry her for forever entering into this covenant that I couldn't speak. Like, my best friend was the pastor, and he's asking me these questions and asking me to recite things. All I could force out was a little whisper. <laughs> and my wife thought it was funny. You know, she didn't have the same problem that I had. She's entertained by it. So I would force out this whisper. You know, these things. And she's laughing, and everybody in the whole place is laughing. And the same thing was happening to me during worship today. Just trying to sing, and I'm so honored to be here. And it's so beautiful. But I just couldn't even force my words out. And so I don't know what the Lord's up to. I do know he started his ministry at a wedding, right, in Canaan. And he'll end it at a wedding. Because after the last wedding, there's not going to be more ministry. Because our bodies will be healed completely. So the Lord is up to some really beautiful things. I don't know what all he's up to, but I want to short start just with this, then this ties exactly to what Aaron was saying. First thing is that I want you to know that the Lord is so unpredictable. It's unpredictable. And I say this because I tie it to what Aaron was saying about we don't know what revival might look like. But think about this. It's not predictable for God to tell Noah, okay, build this giant boat here, because I'm going to send water from the sky and put two of every animal. This isn't predictable. Or you take your people through here, Moses, and I'm going to part this sea. It's not predictable when he's got Elijah hiding, and he's like, I'm going to have ravens bring you bread and meat. Come on. This isn't predictable, right? I'm going to have Elijah call down lightning and fire from heaven to consume even rocks. Not only the sacrifice and water, but rocks too. The Lord is not predictable in the way he works. You know, 
know, I'm thinking about donkeys talking, bread falling from heaven. Jesus spitting in the dirt. That's a little gross. Putting mud on some guy. This is not predictable. Remember John 18 when these guys are coming to arrest Jesus? And he's like, hey, who do you guys want? And they're like, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. They just fall and collapse on the ground. I mean, Jesus is so powerful, but he's not predictable. The Lord's not predictable. I'm just going to walk across the water to get to the other side and meet up with my buddies. I'm not going to worry about the boat this time. Are you catching me? How unpredictable the Lord is. What about Paul, his handkerchiefs? Healing people, Peter's shadow. Listen, I, I want us to grasp that he's so unpredictable. Why? Because I want to raise our attentiveness to the Lord, to be looking for him, because he's working and he's moving, and I don't want to miss it. And it might be in ways, it'll probably be in ways that are unexpected and unpredictable. That's his character and nature. Again, like Aaron's saying, is that revival might look very different. But the Lord is working. He is moving. So I say this, to raise our attentiveness, to raise our expectation, to increase our watchfulness for the Lord's moving. But I also want to say this, is that the Lord is completely predictable. And you're like, Pastor, you just say he's unpredictable. I know. He's completely predictable. What do I mean? He's always loving. He's always kind. He's always merciful. He's always forgiving. He's always compassionate. He's always so tender. But you know what else? He's always sovereign. He's always in control. He never says, oh man, now that's a tough one. Right? He never says it. He never says, uh-oh, what are we going to do about this one? Listen, he's so predictable. He's unpredictable in his methods, right? But he's so predictable in his nature and who he is. Why do I say that? I say that to bring a sense of peace and confidence in our hearts, a sense of rest in the goodness of God. His goodness doesn't change. So raise our expectations, rest in his goodness and his power, attentive to his Holy Spirit. You know, I was reminded last week of of one of the times your Lord spoke to me the clearest. Now, we all have different gifts. We have different abilities. I saw my friend John today. I hadn't seen in a long time. When I lived in Ohio, he came to my rescue and fixed my plumbing and fixed my wall. Build or fix anything. I can't build or fix anything. We have different abilities, right? We hear from the Lord differently. And normally when the Lord speaks to me, he brings a scripture to mind. But there was one time in my life where the Lord spoke to me and it was so clear, maybe the clearest that he's ever spoken to me in my life. And I was in, I was actually in a hospital room, begging for Lord's mercy, begging for him to intervene in a situation that was just devastating. And you know what the Lord said to me? He said so clearly, I can be trusted. And that was a word, I didn't get the desired outcome. He didn't tell me how I get that. But he told me that he could be trusted. Regardless of what happened, it's a word that I've carried with me for all of my life. He can be trusted. I want us to walk out looking for him, attentive to him, resting in his sovereignty, his goodness, and his love, but know that he can be trusted. But I want us to do it as I invite all of us to walk out with a mindedness to live missionally. I'm going to talk about what that means this morning. I've been a missionary in Costa Rica for, for a little while now. Sometimes it's hard to describe what it feels like. And I've finally captured an illustration that captures part of it. 
So I'm not a super expressive guy, actually. Normally my, my sad face and happy face are the same. It's just how I'm wired. I'm not very expressive in general. But I've learned that in Costa Rica, I'm, I'm not a native Spanish speaker. I speak Spanish, but no one ever accuses me of being a native when they hear my accent. But when, uh, when the, my Costa Rican friends see me, because Spanish isn't my first language, they're extra attentive to all of my nonverbal communication. You tracking with me? They're watching my facial expressions. They're watching my body movement. Because those things communicate even more loudly than their words, right? So I'm in town where I live, and I see a friend from a distance, and, and my vision's not quite what it used to be. Got my glasses on so I can see my notes. And I see my friend just waving, so excited to see me. And it feels so good in my heart. They're waving and they're smiling. And I'm like, who doesn't want to be greeted like this? Well, I haven't quite recognized them and identify them, but I'm smiling and I'm, I'm overexpressive to communicate mutual joy and excitement, even though it's hard for me to be that expressive. I'm waving and I'm smiling. And of course, what happens? I realize they're waving at the person behind me, right? <laughs> that, that awkward feeling, anybody ever experienced that awkward feeling? That's what it's like to be a missionary. You live that feeling. You're in a different culture, different language, different country. You live in that moment. Right? I'm sure maybe the Bowens, probably, Steve probably got some great stories, Steve and Patty. Uh, that's, that's how I summarize it. But I invite us to not shy away from the awkwardness. Just step into it, embrace it as we move more and more into a missional mindset, a missional life. And, uh, and it is hard. But I want to just remind you of something that you already know, that we're all missionaries. Believe it or not. We think of a missionary. First off, a missionary receives a calling from the Lord, right? Aren't we a chosen people called from the Lord? Right. Well, what about that whole go to all nations? Well, you know what I've realized? So we're all, we're all called. We're all living on mission. When I'm in my house, I want to shepherd and encourage and love and give my kids what I call a Godward orientation. Say, look for Lord. But as soon as I step out of my house, I'm on mission, right? I, uh, I know normally we think missionary, called to a foreign people group, right? There's something that's happened that's called the globalization of the world. I'll tell you what, I was at, um, have you ever been to a Love's Truck Stop? Love's Truck Stop, right? I haven't been to the U.S. a whole lot the last six and a half years. I was invited to speak at a friend's church in Kentucky about 2 a.m. he picked me up at the airport in Nashville driving where it loves truck stop I'm telling you this was a multicultural experience loves truck stop 2 a.m. if you ever get a chance to do it go for it I recommend it and it's a picture we live in such a multicultural world now you want a multicultural experience just go to Walmart listen we live in a multicultural world we're on mission everywhere we go we received a calling now, we use our gifts however we are, but one thing that I've learned as a missionary is that it's so important that we learn to contextualize. As, as Pastor Aaron was reminding us, let's, let's be attentive to what's around us so we know if we're in the midst of a revival to make sure we recognize it. And as I've studied the scripture through this lens, I'm seeing that this mindset of contextualization is so important. Paul did it on all his missionary journeys, but it's all throughout even the Old Testament. Do you guys remember when I mentioned Elijah? So Elijah said, uh, Lord, just no more rain. Do you remember that? This is 1 Kings kind of 16 through 19. 
He said, no more rain, and there's a drought in the land. It's kind of a strange thing to do, right? Here's what was going on. The Israelites were subsistence farmers. They lived off the land, agricultural people. Well, Israelites didn't have the rivers and the fresh water sources that some of our neighboring, neighboring countries had. And so what happened? So there's this false god named Baal, god of fertility and god of rain. And see, the Israelites, they had mixed their God, their worship of Yahweh and their worship of Baal. See, for them, it just made sense. Of course we're going to worship the God of rain. We need rain to survive. It was logical for them. So what did Elijah do? He intentionally caused the rain to stop to show who the true God of rain was. He called down fire from heaven, destroyed the sacrifice, destroy the false prophets but then what did he do he caused the rain to return do you see he was so intentional to contextualize his message he knew the people group he knew their belief systems he knew their practices so that he could reveal the true god the god of rain and so as as missionaries which is what we are we have to be mindful of our context, mindful of the culture, mindful of what's happening around us so we can be more effective in communicating the love of Jesus. Does this make sense? For example, where, where I live, you know, when we share the gospel in the U.S., we talk about, I've been justified, my sins are paid for, Christ's righteousness is credited to my account, I'm given the Holy Spirit, I'm a son and daughter, and there's no more beautiful news than that, right? But where I live... The pivotal cultural concept is shame and honor. So it's important that when I share the gospel, I communicate, Jesus took on our shame. He's cleansed our consciences. Jesus, he, when he gives us his righteousness, he gives us his honor. It's important. Do you see the difference? A cultural mindset. And so as missionaries, we're just called to use what the Lord's entrusted to us. Faithful stewardship with what's been entrusted to us. Because there's not a whole lot of things I can do, but I want to be faithful with the few things that I can do. You know, the father of modern missions is a gentleman named William Carey. Maybe you've heard of William Carey, another hero of mine. The books that I've read say that William Carey was a plotter when it came to preaching, meaning he was a long, boring preacher, which uh, is not really something you want to be written about you in the history books, right? Let me share what William Carey did, father of modern missions. He was faithful with what had been entrusted to him. See, we have different types of intelligence. He had a type called linguistic intelligence. Here's what he did. He translated all of the English Bible into Bengali, Oriya, I can't even say the names of these languages, Assamese, Marathi, Hindi, and Sanskrit. Listen, I, I might speak Spanish, but I couldn't translate the Bible from English to Spanish. Six languages. Now, not only that, so his wife had such severe mental illness that his colleagues are telling him, you have got to put her in a mental asylum because she's going into these fits of rage, out of control. But he was so concerned that she wouldn't be cared for well enough. See, he wanted to steward even the covenant he'd entered into with his wife. And then it went on, he and his colleagues, it says, they printed and distributed the Bible in whole or in part in 44 languages and dialects. I say this just to call us to be as faithful as we can with what we've been entrusted with. A lady in my church named Loretta, we call her Gigi. She's like a grandparent for my kids. 
Everywhere she goes, she doesn't speak much Spanish, but she, everywhere she goes, she takes bags of cookies. She's good at baking. That's how she shows love. So when she shows up at the grocery store or wherever, she just gives little bags of cookies out. And they know that she loves Jesus, and they feel loved. She's using what she has. She's a faithful steward of what she's been entrusted. And maybe you're thinking a thought that I've had, like, well, I, I can't be a missionary. I'm grumpy all the time. No, trust me. I understand grumpy seasons, sometimes long seasons. This has been a year where I've gotten so much encouragement from the prophet Jonah. Remember the prophet Jonah? Prophet Jonah is, is unique when you look at Jonah in light of the other minor prophets, because other minor prophets normally talk a lot about something called oracles, and it's these words from the Lord. Jonah's is mostly about his experience. And what do we know about his experience? Well, he's disobedient, he's grumpy, he's bitter, he's possibly a racist. And then what does he do? He makes this short proclamation. I mean, literally, short, short proclamation. And 120,000 people repent. Now, this is different. Remember, previously, the, the other minor prophets, the prophets are calling God's people back to God, the Israelites back to Yahweh. Now, Jonah is going to a foreign people group, bitter, grumpy, disobedient. Did you see what the Lord can do with a little active obedience? Just a small declaration, small proclamation. It, it reminds me of a friend, Steve. It's just about throwing the seed, just a little bit of seed, just going and sowing. It gives me rest. His power is more than sufficient. He can do huge things with a little, with a small offering. And so I'm going to share from Matthew 25 this morning. And it's about us being faithful with what we've been entrusted with. And I want to just encourage us with this, is that if we really have a proper perspective on life, what we're doing right here now is we're waiting for Jesus' return. We know he's coming back. So what do we do while we wait? It's, it's not a passive waiting. There's an active nature to it. So in Matthew 25, I'm going to share basically the first parable. There's three parts. Matthew 25 consists of, the first part is the parable of the virgins, and then the parable of the talents, and then we have the story of the sheep and goats. And I'm just going to address uh, the parable of the virgins. I'll, I'll mention the other ones. And as you know, so in a, it's called the Olivet Discourse. In the parable, we look and see certain elements have symbolic meanings. They represent something else. Not everything that be an allegory, but certain parts. We ask ourselves the questions, well, what is representative of other things? What's being contrasted here? What stands out? What's unusual? What's strange? So we're going to look at this one. And this is really a parable about being prepared. Now, if you spend any time with me, I really, really like to be prepared. Does anybody else like that? I like to arrive early. I love to make my lists. I have my little plan. I have my little external battery charger with me. I've got my paper planner. I know what I'm doing tomorrow and the next day and next week. Anybody like that? Love to plan and prepare. Gives me the illusion of control, I think. But I'll take it. That's how I'm wired. So I think that's the reason why I used to like backpacking so much. I had everything I needed right here. Felt completely prepared for life, at least for a few days. So this parable, there's kind of three main characters we look at. There's the bridegroom, which we call the groom. Now, a groom's only called a groom right before the wedding, right? So the groom represents Jesus. And then we have the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. Now, really, a, a better, well, I personally feel like maybe a better translation for us today would be 
uh, bridesmaids, really, because the virgin just communicates that these girls were too young to have been married, and their role is actually to assist in the bridal procession. So we've got the groom, which is Jesus. We have the wise bridesmaids, who are the faithful servants. They're really the Christians who are prepared. They're faithful with what's been entrusted to them. And then we have the unwise virgins who have rejected. So I'm going to read from Matthew 25. I have, um, I believe it's from the NIV. Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. In verse 1, it mentions, notice the phrase, kingdom of heaven will be like. That's kind of important when you try to interpret Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there won't be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with them to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others, those who didn't have the oil, they came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So here's the context. The, uh, the climate for the context here, first century uh, Mediterranean context, is similar to the climate where I live, where there's a dry season and a rainy season. And so in the dry season, that's normally when the weddings would take place, you have these cooler evenings, but beautiful clear skies in the evenings which is brilliant radiant stars and so normally what happens is the weddings would take place in the cool of the evening and the way it would work is that the groom would would go to the bride's house there would be normally like the the vow type ceremony and then he would mount his wife on like back of a donkey he would zigzag through town the longest possible way to show the whole world look at my beautiful bride Look at my wife. And he would bring back to the wife's house where there's then, I'm, I'm sorry, back to his house where there's a big, big lavish celebration. Feasts and celebrate, a banquet. So this is what's happening. Remember, Jesus is very aware of the culture and the context, of course. And so what stands out is the groom, his arrival time is just so unexpected and so delayed. They're waiting and they're waiting. And I think, to be honest, this is... Um, this is just another reminder for us that we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We're waiting, and we need to be prepared and active waiting. But we need to be cautious about those who say they think they know when Jesus is coming back. If Jesus himself said twice, I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows. We need to be cautious. So they're waiting, and they're waiting. Now, obviously, these, these bridesmaids, they were certain they're not coming back tonight. It's too late. There's no way anyone's going to start their celebration this late. So they fell asleep, right? Anyone who's a bridesmaid or groomsman or wedding, you're not going to fall asleep unless you're certain, no, it's, it's too late. It's not happening tonight. 
And so we have these wise virgins. They represent the true Christians, right? They're prepared. They're persevering. They're ready. They have their lamps because they're going to provide light for the bridal procession to come in. These lamps, scholars kind of argue. Some say lamps are this bundle of sticks that would be trimmed and prepared that you would dip in oil repeatedly. Some say it's like a pottery-type vessel. I'm not sure. I'm not a scholar. But what's important is that they both required oil. And so you've got these other bridesmaids are not prepared. So the first one, their preparation is an act of obedience, right? I want to point out, we've got the unprepared and the prepared. The wise, the unwise, they're all invited to the wedding feast. They're all invited to paradise. They're all invited to be with Jesus forever. And we see this, is that the lesson shows us is that the ones who were prepared, the ones who were faithful, were rewarded with paradise. Isn't it incredible that we're invited to a wedding feast? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Why would God invite us? He loves us so much. He invites us like this to a celebration, to the best, better banquet that we could ever imagine. This is what it teaches. The faithful are rewarded with this wedding. Preparedness begins with this. Preparedness begins with accepting Christ as your Savior. The first thing I want you to hear is, if you don't know Christ personally as your Savior, he's, he's inviting you like this, not like this. Somehow I believed alive most of my life that it was with an angry brow and the pointing finger waiting for me to mess up so he could be angry with me and disappointed with me. Verse 11, again, the unprepared virgins and bridesmaids said this, Lord, Lord, open to us. These girls thought that they could get what they needed from someone else. The truth is that we're going to stand on our own before the Lord one day. Amen. I can't borrow from Aaron. I can't borrow from Nicole. I'm going to stand on my own. I'm going to be faithful with what's been entrusted to me. Well, there's one more part of this parable that I want to point out. and it, Theologically, it might be a little controversial. You might not agree. If you disagree, you can take it up with Aaron. I'm, I'm leaving today. But that's okay. He can handle it. He's a big boy. Is that I believe that the oil also has a significance. Why? Because as I read throughout the scriptures, oil is used all throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, oil of anointing, marking being called and equipped, oil representing unity, right? Oil with torches and fires. But oil often represents what? Holy Spirit, that's right. Do you see this? The, the wise virgins had oil. They had the Holy Spirit. They were received and embraced. The ones who didn't have oil, who didn't have the Holy Spirit, were rejected. Do you see what the difference maker is? It's the Holy Spirit. What's Romans 8 and Ephesians 1 tell us? Is that believers have the Holy Spirit as a seal. Holy Spirit lives inside of them. Now we can have, I believe we have to keep being filled and filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, Paul's command, which is in the plural, and it's in the um, continuous since keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not like a, an optional. It's a command. What a beautiful command. A pleasure command is what we call it. But we see it's the Holy Spirit that marks the difference between who's received and who's rejected. And let's keep filling with the Holy Spirit. It's an invitation for us to have a daily renewing of the Holy Spirit. Keep pursuing. Keep asking for more. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in 
this story, we've got, let's just briefly look at Matthew 25. In this story, we've got the unwise virgins. Now, let's be really honest. What did they do that was, like, so wrong? Because they're kind of like the villains of the story, right? They didn't hurt anybody. They didn't steal anything. They didn't commit any crimes. They, just, they didn't do anything, right? They weren't prepared. Well, in the next part, we've got the parable of the talents. And there's one guy who's the bad guy, right? He's given this large sum of money. One talent was a lot of money. Scholars love to argue how much, but it was a lot. What did he do with it? Well, he didn't do anything. It's not that he did bad things with it. He didn't do anything. Well, in the next story, you've got the story of the sheep and the goats. And, and the goats are the ones who didn't care for the sick and the needy and the hungry and the foreigner and those who were incarcerated. They didn't, it, they didn't do anything evil and wrong, right? They weren't hurting people. They didn't do anything. Do you see what's happening here? We have the unwise virgins. We have the guy who was given one talent. We have the ones considered goats. It's not that they did anything wrong. They're being judged for what they didn't do. Do you see this? It's called a sin of omission. Did you catch that? That scares me, right? <laughs> I want to be as faithful as I can with what's been entrusted to me. And that's part of what's living on mission. Because we have different gifts, different abilities. Being faithful as we can with what the Lord's given to us. Stewarding it well for His kingdom. Keep being filled more and more with the Holy Spirit for His purposes. So what does the Lord want? Well, He wants us to be faithful with what he's entrusted to us, right? He wants me to be attentive to him, watchful. He wants me to use my gifts and my abilities. But you know what? I have to point out, because I've used my gifts and abilities, I've, I've taught, I've done things, but I can lose sight of something that's even more important. He wants our hearts to be humble and pure. He wants our hearts to be like Jesus' heart. One life verse of mine, above all else, guard your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. I don't know a whole lot, but I do know that a heart can become very jaded and critical and cynical like that. Right? Above all else. Let's guard our hearts. This is, this is going to be the key to being powerful and effective as missionaries. I value education and learning, of course, but it, it's the heart that matters most. And is the heart that's the hardest to guard and keep pure. It's not that hard to gain a little knowledge here and there. It's really hard to keep my heart, especially if you take a peek at social media, right? Really hard to keep my heart pure. It's a constant battle. So attentiveness to our hearts. You know, in a very political world, using great caution with my words, stewarding my words in a way that honors him, missionally, that reflects him in his character. Attentive to the Holy Spirit. Well, there's Something I want to point out, I've processed this and I've prayed about this. Okay, so I know he empowers, he speaks, he moves, he heals. I know he's in me, but what does this look like for me? And the Lord gave me this passage in John 13 that really rattled me this year. And I'm sure you've read it and made sense to you long before it made sense to me. The context is Jesus is at his last supper. He's with the disciples. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. Here's what happens, John 13. I'm just going to read two or three verses. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Hear this part. This is so important. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, 
and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Make sure you catch that. Jesus knew God had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that he came from God and he was going back to God. So, this is the tricky part. So is one of those transition words, right? And a series of logical statements. I took a shower and got dressed so I would be presentable for church. I charged my phone so I could use it. You see, there's a logical progression. So Jesus knew all things had been put under his power. He knew he'd come from God. He was going to God. So, in my mind, so he revealed his glory and required praise. He, he was shining like his transfigured state, Mount of Transfiguration. That's not what it says. So, so he, he took off his outer garment and starts washing their feet. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began his, to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Did you catch that? He knew these things. So where's the logic in this sentence? So he washed and dried their feet? I'm like, how does this possibly make sense unless love and power are communicated and manifest through humility and service. It's the only way I can make any sense of this. Because that so doesn't seem to be the right word. Doesn't seem There's no logical progression for me unless Jesus is showing us that it's, it's humility and service that communicate love in such a powerful way. It's not about a platform. It's about being faithful with what's been entrusted to us. It's about using what we have for his glory, for his kingdom. And the Lord can use anything. Well, he sure does use, he uses friendship in a powerful way. He uses all kinds of things, you know, but he, he uses what we offer up to him, right? We offer a little bread and a little fish, but that's what he multiplies, right? That's what was given to him that day. So my invitation to you is the invitation the Lord's receiving, giving me, is be faithful what's been entrusted to us, but receive the commissioning as missionaries to live missionally. The Lord has empowered you and gifted you. It's, it's not about necessarily preaching and teaching it's about his loving radically about his representing Jesus yes. modeling him stewarding what's, what's been entrusted to us you know in, in my research I'm one of those guys who every conversation comes back to my research because it really interests me but I'm learning about all these different types of intelligence and I mentioned uh, William Carey who had the linguistic intelligence who speaks all these languages and I've got friends who can come and they can, they can fix my car engine like that and they explain it to me. I don't understand a word they're saying. They can speak English to me. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I've got friends who can do different things, whether it's with sports and dance, and they've got a type of intelligence with their body. Those aren't the types of intelligence the Lord gave me. I'm you know, a patron saint of mediocrity is what I used to call myself. But, uh, but I'm faithful with what the Lord's been entrusted. He has given me forms of intelligence. It's just we have to ask what kind. And so we need to be faithful with whatever it is without comparing. I can't do what Pastor Aaron does. I can't do what Steve Bowen does. I can share the gospel. I can do things. But we're, we're gifted differently. And the Lord uses what we have. We're intentionally created differently. He wants us to walk in freedom 
trusting that he's sovereign, he's good, and he's tender, trusting that he's working and moving even when we don't see it, attentive to him, but faithful, being prepared to use what's been entrusted to us. So I'm going to just pray for you and release a blessing. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Aaron to come on up. But as I was praying and preparing, I just wanted to release this. And I don't know if how the pandemic has hit you. Again, I haven't been in the States a whole lot over the last uh, year and a half, two years. Obviously, there is a pandemic, and there's also a pandemic of mental and emotional health that has really pounded us and beat us to pieces. I've felt beat up at times. But I wanted to address them as I want to release the illusion of control. It brings so much freedom. And I'm not saying that you're not powerful. Yes, you're powerful. James says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Well, I've been given Christ's righteousness. That's the highest form of righteousness. You better believe our prayers are powerful. Romans 8, more than conquerors. My body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's like praying and interceding for me and moans and groans too deep for words. I'm, we're powerful people, but there's still an illusion of control. So I want to release you from the illusion of control. Come on up, Aaron, so that we can find peace and rest. We've got to be faithful with what's been entrusted to us, just like the bridesmaids. We'll be faithful with what's given to us. Maybe it's just a little bit of oil. Remember the Old Testament, the prophets multiplying the oil? Be faithful with what's been entrusted to us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Aaron will, will release us at the end of time. So Lord, I just pray... Would we be faithful with what's been entrusted to us? Would we see it as a privilege and honor to get to be a part of your kingdom? Would I be faithful with what's been entrusted to me? Would we rest in your goodness and your sovereignty and your tenderness and your mercy? Would we attentive to you, looking for you, realizing that you work and move all the time, and it's not as we expect? So would that bring peace and hope and bring a security? But Lord, would we release what we think we have control over? Well, that brings so much freedom and peace. We know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. When we walk in freedom, thank you, Jesus, when we keep in step with the Spirit, I just pray a release this morning of our mental health and emotional health. Thank you, Jesus, and pray a release of whatever it is that we're carrying, that we feel like it's, it's dragging like a heavy weight behind us and it's slowing us down and impeding us and consuming our thoughts. We'll just break that off. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the beauty of what you do in this house. Thank you for the beauty of your presence. Lord, would we long for you more than we long for anything else? Just change our appetites. Draw our eyes back to you. Be faithful with what we can. And just trust you with the rest. Think of Paul saying he was in, as if in the pains of childbirth. He so longed to see Christ formed in these people. Lord, would we have this passion at the same time, the peace and rest that you are who you say you are. So we love you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.